1: To the river to pray. Hey, hey. hey, good afternoon good and water welcome, water ladies and gentlemen, this is Gino Geraci, so glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we take your calls and try to answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus, questions about the Bible, questions about worldviews and world religions. And if you'd like to join me on this tough question Tuesday, you can call Producer Jim at 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935, with your tough question about the Bible. And again, we talk about the past, history, and we talk about the future, prophecy, and we talk about what's happening in this great big world right at this very moment. And of course, there's so much happening, Um, obviously. So, when I'm thinking about in, in the news, the, the at the top of the headlines, every news media outlet is reporting that uh, the president of the United States has decided to cut off oil from Russia. But what hasn't been widely reported in the news and the Wall Street Journal is reporting it this afternoon, that Saudi Emirati leaders, Persian Gulf monarchies, Um, Basically, that the Saudi government, the Emirati government declined to receive calls from the American president, Joe Biden, but they have taken calls from Vladimir Putin. Now, again, the Wall Street Journal is reporting that the White House unsuccessfully tried to arrange calls between the president and the de facto leaders of Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates as they were working to reduce the tensions and they were working to uh, figure out a way to uh, navigate these ever-increasing oil prices But the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and UAE's Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, who is obviously in the news over some of the talk about the Abraham Accords, have become more vocal in their criticism of American policy in the Gulf. Um, So it's interesting to me that part of this growing tension is going to be over the issue of gas and energy. And also the almost cult-like commitment of the liberal left in our country because of their deep commitment to this issue of climate change that they would rather have four and five and six dollar a gallon at the pump, maybe $150, $200 a hundred and fifty, two hundred dollars a barrel of oil. Then, then literally lift the bans and begin moving towards energy independence. Now, obviously, this is tough question Tuesday, and I would much rather talk about Bible issues. But just quickly, civilians were evacuated from Ukrainian cities uh, of 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 Sumy and Irpin, but many remain trapped in besieged areas. President Vladimir Zelensky of Ukraine addressed the British Parliament today by telelink, echoing Winston Churchill quoting William Shakespeare. He basically told the British Parliament, the question for us is to be or not to be. So he's quoting Shakespeare to England as he's, Still tries to hold on for dear life, and of course McDonald's and Starbucks said that they would temporarily close their locations in Russia. And according to United Nation estimates, more than two million Ukrainians have fled the the country. <clears throat> and so, again, the United States has banned Russian oil, and um, literally the united states now again we've heard different statements some people have said well only about one percent of our energy resources come from russia but according to a number of different news outlets that the united states receives less than ten percent it would seem that there's more than one percent but less than ten percent of of oil comes from russia one of the things that may have escaped uh, again in the news is the um, the 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 resigning of um, of the editor of the magazine in Russia, which is I think the Russian Times. Now, yes, the Russian Times, Maria Baranova has quit. Now she, she was the editor of the Russian state run media over Ukraine. So she was in charge of publishing material on behalf of the Kremlin for the Russian people. She resigned today as editor in chief last week condemning Russian President Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. And she she knows very well that whoever speaks out against the Kremlin is going to be in danger. Uh, but she basically said personal safety is the least of her concerns. She was quoted by Fox News Digital from Moscow via a WhatsApp call. She said, quote, the problem is... I know these people very well. She said they never send threats. They just kill. So there's a kind of weird silence around me, but I really think we're on the brink of a nuclear war right now. I'm not exaggerating this from Maria Baranova, who is the editor-in-chief of Russia Today. Now, again, is this some sort of complicated disinformation campaign is Maria Baranova the 2022's version of Tokyo Rose as she's trying to um weaken the resolve of the american people well she told fox news digital quote i have a son i can't leave because his father won't allow me to leave with him and so i just prefer to stay in moscow she says it seems like we're either in north korea Or we're going to be killed by a thermonuclear mushroom, she said. I won't quit. I won't lose my salary and job if I I was sure that we are going to be alive for many years. But I really don't know what's going to happen to any of us next. Now, think about that statement. She's saying, I don't care about my job. I don't care about my salary because there seems to be good evidence that I don't know if I'm going to be alive or dead in the next few moments. Now, Many around the globe are definitely concerned about Putin, and they've definitely asked the question about nuclear weapons. But Baranova is worried that his behavior will make Russia the target of a catastrophic attack. She said, and I quote, I suspect the Western world will use it, this is a very dangerous situation. So, she stepped down from the state run network. She, by the way, was featured in a 2012 New York Times piece that said a face of the Russian protest movement. It was a detailed uh, examination of her life because she was charged with inciting a riot while protesting Putin winning a third term, and she was featured in Rolling Stone magazine. Is this true information or false information? I don't know, but it's being reported. Three zero three 1935 I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Tracy inviting you to call on Tough Question Tuesday, 303-873-1935. And of course, one of the toughest questions, does the Bible prophesy or does Bible prophecy predict that there will be a World War III before the end times? And it just so happens that we have an article, it got questions, your questions, biblical answers on that very subject. 303 873 And again, the article says there's no doubt that world war will be a part of our future. Jesus plainly taught that there would be war prior to his return in Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 31. Some hold that he spoke generally of the church age in verses 4 through 14, and spoke of the tribulation period starting at the midpoint in verses 15 through 31. Others believe that Christ spoke of only the seven-year period known as the tribulation in verses 4 through 31. And even though verses 4 through 14 do seem to be giving general descriptions, they parallel the description given in early Revelation chapter 6, which records details concerning the beginning of the tribulation. In Matthew 24, verses 6 and 7, of course, it says that there will be wars and rumors of wars, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, unquote. Now, of course, we've talked a little bit about the fact that there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. We've talked a little bit about the fact that Russia is the largest producer of wheat. It's my understanding Ukraine is the fourth or fifth largest producer of wheat, which means that Russia and Ukraine's total output for wheat provides – a major portion of food products for that part of the world. And so here Christ is making it clear that we're going to play a significant role in the last seven years prior to his return in Matthew chapter 24, verses six and seven. So to be even more specific, the future does hold at least one more world war, but there's nothing in Scripture that says there will be only a certain number of world wars. World War One and two aren't quote unquote explicitly mentioned in the scripture, nor is even this possible third world war. So if we ask about chapter and verse about World War one, World War Two, World War Three, no the Bible just simply mentions wars. And then it mentions the last war in detail, which allows the interpretation that there may be others before the final conflict. So again, if we ask and we answer the question, will there continue to be wars and rumors of wars? And if we go back to the time in Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus spoke those words, and then we fast forward to the present day, it's pretty self-evident. But like I said, the war that is spelled out in the most detail seems to be the last war. And, of course, John the Apostle was shown what the end times would be like, specifically the last seven years prior to the return of Jesus. Beginning in Revelation chapter 6, he saw the future. He saw... A war. And the war was found in that chapter, and it continues to be a part of the unfolding events in the book of Revelation until chapter 19. And in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, it says, In righteousness he judges and wages war. Interesting. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Is it uh, Judah? Judah, welcome to the program.
2: Uh, Hi, Gino. Can you hear me well enough? Yeah, sure. Um, Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. My question um, is... I'm I'm moving with my family down to Harlingen, Texas, which is near Brownsville, like right on the border with Mexico.
1: So we're not talking Um, about Arlington. We're talking about what is Harlingen? Harlingen.
2: Yes, Um, and I was wondering. If you know of any good, sound, biblical, um, Bible-teaching churches or pastors that we can get connected with down there, we're really blessed living in the Brighton area to be so close to so many Calvary chapels. Um, I don't seem to see any of those in in a Google search down there.
1: Yeah, neither do I. So, yeah, I'm unfamiliar with the area. I'm sorry, my voice is sort of being weird. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I unfortunately, I am not familiar with that area or the churches that are in that area. Um, but maybe someone is. Um, I'm looking at the area, and I'm noticing that it's near Rio Hondo and San Benito.
2: Yes, and um, Brownsville and um, South Padre Island.
1: Sounds like a beautiful part of the world.
2: Uh, Well, I guess the part that we're moving to is pretty deserty, but
3: very
2: close to some very good tropical areas for sure, Um, and much less expensive than the Brighton area or the Denver area, for that matter.
1: Wow, yeah. I guess almost everywhere is a lot less expensive than Denver. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at churches, non-denominational churches, and um, what I would just encourage you to do is maybe go to their website, look at their statement of faith, see what their philosophy of ministry is, um, and check them out. I'm looking at three churches, called one's called Lagos Community Church. The other one's called City Church, and the and another one's called First Christian Church. But yeah, I am. Um, I would avoid uh, churches that are weird, <laughs> and I would obviously embrace churches where they literally teach the Bible. Um, that's what
2: I'm looking for, Gino, and so I've done a little bit of research, and I've watched some videos from some of the churches that you mentioned, and some others that I've found.
1: Anything and stick
2: I, out to you? Well, I'm finding a lot of Pentecostal churches, um, which, nothing against our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, but that's not what we're looking for. We're We're so blessed, again, to just have all of these Calvary chapels around here in the Denver metro.
1: Well, and see that you and, do, you get spoiled, don't you? You go, hey, if I yeah. go to a Calvary, I, I at least know they're going to open up their Bible, they're going to go chapter right. and verse, and they're going to teach you what's in it.
2: You're <laughs> right. They're going to teach the Word of God, and that's what I want my family to to grow on. So that's why I'm kind of reaching out and just hoping to get some insight from you. Well, I see or for a Calvary I listeners I see, for that matter.
1: Yeah, and maybe someone will call in and and know. I I did you I'm looking at one that's called Calvary Baptist Church and uh that's been around for almost forty years. It says they've been in business thirty nine years, and if a church has managed to, to live as long as the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, they might just be a Bible teaching church. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's a really good point.
1: But uh yeah, well hopefully someone will call and I I wish you well in your search for a Bible teaching church and and in your move and I hope and pray that it it turns out to be a blessing for you and your family.
2: Thank you very much. Jesus. And I
1: by, I love Texas by the way and you know there's there's times late at night that I wonder I wonder if I should go to Texas so i can be free
3: <laughs>
1: we'll have fun enjoy your your visit or your your move and god bless you and continue to use you this is Gino Jeracy thanks for joining me i'll be back 303 873 1935 hey welcome back ladies and gentlemen this is Gino Jeracy so glad you could join me the number's 303 873 1935 on this tough Question Tuesday, happy to take your calls, 303-873-1935. I want to go back to this um, story, if you will, um, of the head of the Russian state-run media outlet quitting and um, basically issuing a pretty grim warning. Her name is Maria Baranova. And again, she's, she was the editor-in-chief of the, the uh, news outlet called Russia Today, and she recently sent information through Fox and then did an interview with Fox saying that um, she believes that we're on the brink of a nuclear war, and she added, quote-unquote, I'm not exaggerating – she said i have a son she said i can't leave because his father won't allow me to leave with him and so i just prefer to stay in moscow she said it seems like we're either in north korea or we're going to be killed by a thermonuclear mushroom i wouldn't quit and i wouldn't lose my salary and job if i wasn't sure if i was going to be alive for many years unquote Baranova said she finally made the decision to quit Russian news after reading get this a social media post from a colleague, the colleague wrote, and I quote, If you are now ashamed of being Russian, don't worry you're not Russian unquote what in the world if you're if you are now ashamed of being Russian don't worry you're not Russian. The former media executive told Fox News she was really disturbed by that tone and that level of support, unquote. She said, if I chose to be with Russia, this does not mean that I should walk in a totalitarian system or be silent or, for example, rejoice that the regime, which I do not want for my country, is being exported elsewhere, she said. And she said, and this regime will finally turn our life into one endless Gehenna. But she did. She used the English word instead of the Hebrew word. She further condemned Putin's regime for bombing our relatives and our friends in Ukraine and Baranova. Again, she's been a longtime member of the opposition movement against Putin, said she's amazed by the number of Russians who have bought into the government's lie that they're fighting Nazis in Ukraine. Now, it's interesting to me, again, several different news outlets, I don't know how accurate the information is, but they've, they're they suggesting that up to 70% of the Russian people are on board with and support uh, Putin's um, war, In the Ukraine, she said, and I quote, I try to talk with people on the streets. They even had arguments like, quote, we're fighting with Hitler. But look, I've got some news. She said, Hitler died 80 years ago. It seems like they're really brainwashed. Now, again, I suspect that when they when they say we're fighting with Hitler, um, that what they mean is that people who share a fascist outlook on life. In the Internet age, the journalist says she struggled to understand why people don't question the totalitarian dictator Putin. She said, we have Internet like everybody else in the world, and you can't hide information from people in the era of the Internet. So I don't understand how they can be brainwashed, she reasoned. How can they be saying that Russia is fighting with Hitler collaborators in Ukraine? Now, again, I'm not sure if she's taking this metaphor a little bit too far. But again, it was reported last week that Putin blocked Russia's access to Twitter and Facebook. But that doesn't mean that there is no information going into Russia whatsoever. So, 303 873 Nineteen thirty-five. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program, let's see who's up. Wendy, welcome to Hi, the program. Hi, Gino.
3: How you doing? Good. Good. You sound good.
1: <laughs> yeah, my oh. voice comes and goes.
3: Yeah, I noticed that. But that's because you talk too much.
1: I think you're right.
3: <laughs> Actually, that wasn't an insult. That was more of a compliment. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm so heartbroken about what's going on in ukraine, but um I had a question about ezekiel thirty eight
1: uh-huh.
3: and um it's the the time of it um, I always thought that the what God did as far as rescuing Israel because it says that... um it would make himself know his greatness and holiness known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. I I had been taught and always thought that this came before the tribulation as a witness so that more people would come to the Lord, because I know that's his goal. But I was listening to Jeff trough, and he was saying that this actually happens um, like it, it's part of it happens right before Armageddon, and well, so it does say latter days, but I didn't know if that meant the last days, or I'd always kind of thought it just meant hmm. later than Ezekiel, you know.
1: Well, again, I, my friend, I, I'm thinking of uh, some possibilities, and um.
3: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not criticizing Jeff.
1: No, 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 no. no. I, 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 I just,
3: well, I, I'm just like, okay, um, was I wrong, or is it
1: kind of open ended? Or I, I think it is open ended. The oh. way that I would answer the question is, there are scholars by, and Bible teachers who believe it's before. There are Bibles and scholars um, who believe it's after. And there's other friends who I respect who actually say, the truth is we don't know for certain. And and so people like um, Joel Rosenberg and the for, Tim LaHaye and mm-hmm. and Jerry Jenkins, all three have been on this program. Um, they they would basically say different things. Joel, Joel says we don't know for sure. Um, some some believe that it, it takes place after the rapture, and of course in the book. In in the series that were very popular, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins describe the the war of Gog and Magog as having already happened before the rapture took place. In the Ezekiel option, um, Joel sort of fictionalizes it and and portrays the war as a as occurring before the rapture. Yeah, like right before the rapture. Yeah, right before the rapture. And, you know, he basically takes as his jumping off place, Matthew twenty four fourteen, where Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And so Joel points out that that God uses this war to display his glory to the nations, pour out his Holy Spirit on the nation of Israel. So, again, that that particular war, is it possible that some other type of confrontation takes place prior to the Ezekiel 38 and 39? Possibly. Of course, that's possible. Yeah. Um, but according to Ezekiel 38 and 39, whatever this sp- specific action that's taking place the only reason why israel spared is because god himself intervenes supernaturally yeah. it's not israel wins the war or there's a dramatic coalition of nations that that rise up against this alleged russian iranian coalition yeah
3: actually it's like god makes it well it's one of those no one can save you but me type situations did so many times in the old testament and
1: stuff so so
3: gideon you know
1: just so i I want i don't
3: want anyone to think israel did this for herself
1: right so i don't have a good answer for you on tough question tuesday
3: okay well that's fair but um um thank you very much and god bless you
1: hey thank you this is gino Jerisi, i'll be back Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on Tough Question Tuesday, 303-873-1935. You know, there's lots of questions, of course, surrounding um, Ezekiel 38 and 39. And when Ezekiel 38 talks about Gog and Magog. Historically speaking, Magog was a grandson of Noah in Genesis chapter 10, and the descendants of Magog settled to the far north of Israel, likely in Europe and northern Asia. And Magog seems to be used to refer to what was called the northern barbarians in general, but likely has a connection to Magog the person. And the people of Magog are described as skilled warriors in Ezekiel 38:15, uh, where it says, "You will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north. you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army." And uh, so they're referred to in in Ezekiel 30, 38 and 39, but also in Revelation chapter 20. Verses seven and eight, but it says, and when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. So in those two instances, it would seem that the events of Ezekiel 38 and 39 and the events of Revelation chapter 20 are different These are different events in time. In Ezekiel's prophecy, Gog will be the leader of a great army that attacks the land of Israel. And Gog is described as of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. So Ezekiel's battle of Gog and Magog occurs, again, according to some in the tribulation period, more specifically in the first three and a half years of that period. So the strongest evidence for that view is that the attack comes when Israel is at peace. Ezekiel 38, eight it says, And many days you will be mustered. In the latter years, you will go against the land that is restored from war. The land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continuous waste. In verse 11, it says, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls and having no bars or gates. And so many Bible teachers have suggested that this is a picture of a nation that has basically security, but sort of laid down its defenses. That Israel, if we look at what's happening in Israel right at this very moment, it's going to be very difficult for us to assess that Israel's circumstances are peaceful When we see this ever-present problem with Syria, this ever-present problem of Iran, this ever-present problem, um, this tension all the time, if you will. So when Israel's covenant with this Antichrist figure, this, this Antichrist figure who comes on the scene, it's... In effect, at the beginning of Daniel's 70th week, which is also known as the seven year tribulation period, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, where it says, He will make a strong covenant with many for one heptad, one week, and half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So in this Ezekiel 38, 39 scenario, Israel appears to be at peace. And so again, Joel Rosenberg has suggested, fictionally anyway, that the battle might take place right before the rapture. Others have suggested the battle will occur just before the midpoint Of the seven-year period, according to Ezekiel, Gog, like I said earlier, will be defeated by God himself on the mountains of Israel. It says in Ezekiel 39 verses 11 and 12 that the slaughter will be so great that it will take seven months to bury all of the dead. And again, Gog and Magog mentioned in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. The duplicated uses of the names of Gog and Magog in Revelation chapter 20, verses 8 and 9, seems to suggest that these people demonstrate the same kind of rebellion and antagonism towards God as those who participated in this Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle. It's similar to someone calling a person the devil because they're sinful or evil. So if that's the case in Revelation chapter 20, verses eight and nine, it may be a kind of descriptor. Now, again, I'm not a person who likes to say that this is an analogy or a metaphor unless The text itself seems to indicate that. But the book of Revelation uses Ezekiel's prophecy about Magog to portray a final end-time attack on the nation again in Revelation chapter 20. But this seems to be long after the thousand-year reign has already taken place. So the result of this battle is that all are destroyed. And then Satan is placed in the lake of fire permanently in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, where it says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the false prophet, that's his spokesperson, were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So here we have a picture of Satan joining the beast and the false prophet who are already in this place. And according to the text, it says, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever, which leads you to believe that this is a permanent place. So it's important to recognize that the Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39 is different, different, different from the one in Revelation chapter 20, verses seven and eight. And of course, in the battle of Ezekiel 38 and 39, the armies come primarily from the north and involve a few nations. The battle in Revelation chapter 20 involves all the nations. So armies come from all directions, not just from the north. There's no mention of Satan in the context of Ezekiel 38 and 39. And in Revelation chapter 20, verse 7, the context clearly places the battle at the end of the millennium with Satan as the principal character. In Ezekiel 39, the dead are buried for seven months, but there's no need to bury the dead. If the battle in Ezekiel 38, 39 is the one described in Revelation chapter 20, because immediately following Revelation chapter 20 is this great white throne judgment where there's a new heaven and a new earth. And so the battle in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is apparently used by God to bring Israel back to him. And in Revelation 20, Israel's been faithful to God for a thousand years. So, hey, if you want to join me, 303-873-1935, 35, we'll be back.